You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Good morning. And uh, can I also take the opportunity to wish our dads a very happy Father's Day. It's great to honor our fathers and our men in the house. Grateful to so many of you, may not be natural fathers, but who pour out time and energy into another generation. Thank you. This is how the kingdom is built. This is how lives are built. Thank you so much. And as I come to preach this morning, I'm not actually preaching this morning about uh, the Father or the Father's love or on a Father's Day theme. In fact, this week I found it as I uh, pondered and sought the Lord as to what to bring, I felt deeply inspired by the story of Noah. But I think that was more to do with looking out of the window than what was actually going on in my spirit. I don't know if any of you feel the same way, you know, when it rains in November, it's wet and it's cold, but it's November. But when it rains in June, there's kind of an additional sense of injustice. Like this is summer, this we just thought, maybe. And I don't know if any of you about 8 p.m. on Friday saw that brief window when the blue sky was revealed and the sun came out. I felt like a surge of elation comes through my body. I even went for a run, which I needed to do. I hadn't done one for many months, but this is what happens when the sun has been hidden from you and then is briefly revealed. You do crazy things. But anyway, I'm not preaching on Noah this morning, but uh, wow, the weather has been quite something. In fact, this morning I want to take us to Genesis chapter 15, which is a chapter of scripture that I was studying and reading in our week of prayer and fasting. And what happens in this chapter is we get to see into an interaction between Abraham and God. Now, Abraham, his name was later changed to Abraham. You may be more familiar with that name. He became really the father of faith. You can read a bit of the background, but let me just fill you in on a few key pieces of information about Abraham. If you were to read Genesis chapter 12, you'd find that God came and called Abraham. He said something amazing to him. He said, leave your country your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. And he said this to him, he said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Wow, that's a significant word, a significant promise to receive. Now, I don't know if you have ever heard or had God speak to you, maybe through his word when you're reading it, maybe through the Holy Spirit whispering something into your heart, or bringing alive something in the word of God. But sometimes what can happen is when you receive a promise or a word like this, then your mind takes it on board and you begin to imagine. You begin to visualize. Sometimes you even begin to plan what it will be like when God does what he said he will do. But then sometimes in the days, in the weeks, in the months, sometimes in the years that follow, what you see around you maybe doesn't entirely line up with what you imagined this was going to look like. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Christy knows what I'm talking about. 
This is the journey of faith. Don't get me wrong, God is always faithful to what he says. But the journey often doesn't look quite how we imagined it to look. And this is a little bit what's going on for Abraham when we find him in Genesis chapter 15. You see, he'd received this incredible word from God, this promise that he would become a great nation. But when we read through scripture, after that, what happens is that the famine hit the la- hits the land. He heads into Egypt to try and find food. He gets into some trouble with Pharaoh because he pretends that his wife is his sister. You can read about that yourself if you want to know the detail. Then there's some problems around his nephew, Lot, who's made a home in a city called Sodom. And there's a whole load of kings making an ally and a treaty together. And they go and attack the city. And, and his nephew gets hijacked, gets carried off. And Abraham has to literally get men together to go and fight to rescue his nephew. This had not been an easy season for Abraham. There were literally physical battles. He has been up against it. On top of this, Abraham was married to Sarai. For those of you who know scripture well, you know this. They remained without a child. They had the promise of becoming a great nation, but they didn't yet have a child. And in Genesis 15, what we get is an interaction between God and Abraham in the middle of this season, right in the heart of Abraham's journey of faith, where he's living in the tension of what God has said, but what he sees in front of him, of what's been promised, but what he's experiencing in his today, the challenge of walking by faith in what has been said and not by sight in what the current situation might be, if you like, as he lives in this gap between what's said and what's seen. So let's turn and and read these words together. This is Genesis chapter 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, no for certain, that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they'll be enslaved and ill-treated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. 
You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Amen. Thank you. Anyone think I didn't pronounce those right? You can do it next time. So here we have Abraham interacting with God in the journey of faith, in the tension of the waiting. When it's not quite working out as his head might have envisaged, and maybe this is the same, you might find yourself in a situation not dissimilar to this this morning. And as we open up this scripture, this is going to be a word for you today to encourage your heart in your journey of faith, in the tension of your waiting. Because perhaps God has spoken to you and it doesn't seem to be working out to you quite how you thought. Perhaps you're in a season of waiting right now. Or perhaps in responding to the challenge of reaching wider, you know you're being called to a journey of faith and to step out into something that you long to step out in, but it's a challenge. And this word can be an encouragement for us this morning. This is a rich and a significant passage of scripture, but I want to bring us just four simple observations this morning to encourage us in our faith journey. So number one here is that God knows that we are afraid. God knows that we are afraid. I find it so interesting, we don't, this, this passage doesn't begin with Abraham calling out to the Lord. God takes the initiative and shows up. And I'm so comforted with how God begins the interaction here. He comes to him in a vision and says, do not be afraid. Abraham, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. God shows up with reassurance, not to chastise, not to say to Abraham, come on, man, I've given you my word, what more do you need? He doesn't come like that. He comes to reassure. He comes to acknowledge that he's afraid and encourage him not to be so. He comes to encourage him that he's with him, that he's his shield, his defender, his protector. He says, I'm your very great reward. He knows that Abraham is afraid and he comes to reassure him. He visits him to reassure him. You know, I think it's normal on a journey of faith for there to be some fear. The fear doesn't help our faith, but it's often present anyway. You know, to believe in something that you can't see, when there's something else or a situation in front of you that you can see, that's hard. It often causes us to feel some fear, some questions. You know, we want to just feel the faith, don't we? We know that God is faithful. We know it in our heads. We know that we can trust him. We know that he does what he says he'll do. We know that he loves us as we've just been singing. And yet sometimes we can still feel fear. I've also noticed that our response to fear is normally to try and hide it. 
It's not really very cool to be afraid, is it? We put on a brave face, not because we have a brave heart, but because we don't have a brave heart. Because what's going on in the inside, there's some fear in there. We just want to keep that under the surface. We hope it might go away. And so because of that, often the people around us don't know we're afraid. People who know us really well might know there's something not quite right with us, but often they won't know we're afraid. Often we don't share, even with people close to us, what our fears are. In fact, if somebody does share with you what they're afraid of, you are a deeply trusted and privileged person. They respect you enormously to share their fears with you. So people often don't know when we're afraid. But God knows. God knows when you're afraid. He knew that Abraham was afraid. And he was not ambivalent about it. He cared about it. He cared how Abraham was feeling. He cared about Abraham and he cares about you. And he sees what's in your heart and he cares about it. And he came to reassure Abraham and he wants to reassure us too, even here this morning. And as he came to Abraham to reassure him, he came to remind him that the solution, the answer to his fear was in him in God alone. The answer was not in hastening the promise to be fulfilled. The answer was not in everything being resolved. The answer was not in fast forwarding, but the answer was in God himself, in the Lord who is the shield, the defense, his reward. The answer is in him, in God himself. And God came to reassure Abraham and also to remind him. And maybe you're here this morning living in the tension of a word not yet fulfilled. Maybe you set out on a journey of faith and it doesn't look how you thought it was gonna look. And maybe deep down you are afraid. You know that God is faithful, but you still feel some fear. It's normal. And he comes to you this morning to reassure you. He comes to say, don't be afraid. He comes to say to you this morning, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. I am your defender. I am your protector. He comes to remind you this morning, he is with you. He is for you. God knows that we're afraid, and he comes to reassure us. Secondly, from this passage, I want to bring us to understand that God's abundance overwhelms our inadequacy. God's abundance overwhelms our inadequacy. In the discussion that unfolds between Abraham and God, the Lord mentions reward. And it's almost as though this mention of reward to Abraham provokes something in him. You know sometimes when you're living in a situation where there's some emotional tension, then sometimes someone can just say something and it all comes out. And it's a little bit like this with Abraham and God where the Lord's mention of reward provokes Abraham and out it flows. It's like he says, you said I'd be a great nation, but here I am and I don't even have an heir from my own body. You said I'd be a great nation, but I've got as an heir this servant in my house, Eliezer from Damascus, an inheritance arrangement which would have been common custom in that part of the world. For Abraham, it wasn't just that God's promise 
hadn't yet been fulfilled. I think for him, the current situation, it looked about as unlikely as ever that it would be fulfilled or could be fulfilled. And it could have been as though in his current circumstance, still without a child, that the promise almost haunted him, mocked him in his current situation. And he was so aware of his inadequacy. He'd been given a promise from God, but there was nothing more that he could do to push forward the fulfillment of God's promise. And into this tension, into this acute awareness of his own inadequacy, the Lord comes to speak to him. He says, this man will not be your heir, but a son from your own body. He doesn't just leave it at that. He says, then God took him outside. We find out here that this encounter happens at night because the stars are out. And he takes him outside. God doesn't just speak to him, but he takes him to show him something. He says, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And we know you can't count them. If you've ever been in a really dark place and looked up on a clear night, the hundreds, thousands, millions of stars... You know you can't count them. And God says to him, so shall your offspring be. If Abraham would struggle to accept the word or know the word was true, he would have remembered the sky stretched out before him from east to west, full of so many stars that he couldn't count them. Abraham had received a promise from God that he was unable to fulfill himself. If you ever receive a promise from God, you will be unable to fulfill it yourself. That is the nature of God's promises. If you can fulfill it yourself, it may not have been God that put it in your heart. But for Abraham, the wait seemed long, and here he was faced with his own inadequacy. And God says, look up at the heavens and count the stars. I'm not just come to speak to you about what I'm going to give to you, but what I'm going to do through you. He engages him to give him a sense of the abundance, the expanse of what is in God and what would unfold through him. It must have really blown Abraham's mind. You know, we can feel inadequate because God has great plans for us. He has great plans for you of things to do in you and things to do through you. But so often we look at ourselves and if you like, we do the math. We look at the circumstances and we try to work it out with our human reasoning and with our logic and surprise, surprise, it doesn't add up. We find ourselves inadequate. But God's math is different. See, not only is God the God of the generations, seeing down as history spreads out through the decades and the centuries to come and the exponential growth that would naturally take place in the generations as he talks about the hundreds of years that would follow. But he also sees that everything changes when you add Christ, when you bring Christ into the equation. And with the generations that would succeed Abraham, Christ would come. He would be a descendant of Abraham, and Christ would change everything. He would overcome once and for all our inadequacy with his abundance. And so God says, look up at the stars. Your inadequacy is nothing compared to my abundance. Look at what I've made, he said. 
He could have shown him the mountains. He could have shown him the sky. He could have showed him the ocean and said, look at the abundance of what I can do. Your inadequacy will be overwhelmed by what I can do. And when we walk in faith with the sovereign Lord, his abundance will overwhelm our inadequacy. Whatever God has said to you, whatever word you are carrying in your heart, well, however unlikely it looks here this morning, however inadequate you feel, God is able to overwhelm your inadequacy with his abundance. It's how he works. Thirdly, this morning, is this truth that our faith and our questions can coexist. Our faith and our questions can coexist. Verse six in this chapter is a really important verse in scripture, that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Here is the basis of righteousness that comes by faith alone. The very premise on which our faith in Jesus Christ to save us is based. And the Apostle Paul picks up on this truth and on this verse and kind of expands it and expounds it at some length, particularly in Romans and particularly in chapter 4. Abraham, in the New Testament, gets held up as the father of faith. Paul writes in Galatians 3, he says, all those who believe are children of Abraham. He's the one who leads the way for us, showing what it can look like. He believed God. He's held up for all time as the example of one who believed God. And yet, it didn't mean that he did not have any questions still remaining. His faith and his questions were coexisting. And we're told in Genesis 15 that Abraham asks this question. He says, oh, sovereign Lord, how will I know that I shall gain possession of it? He has a question still. This father of faith, He's had the word, he's been shown the stars, and yet he says, how will I know? You know, God is not afraid of our questions. God is not intimidated by your questions. You know when you think, how is this gonna happen? Can this ever happen? God is not intimidated by those questions. In fact, sometimes it's our questions and our probing God for more that draws us into a deeper place with him, and this is what happened with Abraham. If you were to go and read Romans 4, it, it tells us that Abraham did not waver through unbelief. It says he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. It tells us he didn't waver through unbelief, and yet he had some questions. His questions didn't mean that he didn't have faith. The questions didn't mean that he was wavering in his faith. See, having faith doesn't mean that all our questions get answered. Having faith doesn't mean that the questions have just gone away now and don't matter anymore. Having faith just means we trust in God anyway. Sometimes for us in our journey of faith, particularly when we hit a season where there's tension of what we've heard and what we see, we can think that our questions mean that we don't have faith. But we're afraid to ask our questions, lest it seem that we don't have faith. And we know that faith is so important to God. 
And Abraham here encourages us that our faith and our questions can coexist. And indeed, we should bring those questions to God himself, as Abraham did. How will I know that I shall possess it? Bring them to God himself. Don't let them just go round and round on the inside of you, eating you up. Don't choose to focus on the questions all the time and not focus on God himself. Otherwise, it can undermine our faith. Some of us, more introvert, more reflective, we must learn this. If we just focus on the questions, it will undermine our faith. We have to confront the questions, but bring them to God. Draw to mind what we know about God and our faith in him, but bring the questions to him and see what he does with them. He may not give you a neat and tidy answer. I have had very few neat and tidy answers from God, except when I've asked him a question and the answer has been no. But the journey of you bringing your questions to him is part of the faith journey. It's part of God drawing you into something deeper with him. Don't let your questions rule you out. Don't let your questions tell you that you don't have faith. Don't let your questions cause you to withdraw from God and with talking to him. Let your questions drive you towards him with your questions and let him deal with them. In Abraham's case, he asked God the question, he said, how will I know? How will I know I'll take possession of it? And the Lord answered him. When you ask a question, you need to be ready for the answer the Lord will give. But the Lord answered him, making a request of him to bring an offering, to bring a sacrifice, something which would make way for God to confirm his word to Abraham. But faith and questions can coexist. So fourthly this morning, the journey of faith requires sacrifice. The journey of faith requires sacrifice. This is where Abraham comes to in this text. He asks his question, but the Lord asks him to bring an offering. The Lord asked him for obedience, to bring a sacrifice. Five specific animals get mentioned. And it can sound a little bit gruesome here as the animals are cut open and set on the ground. What's taking place here would have been usual for two people in the Middle East at that time who were entering into an agreement. An animal or animals were taken and were killed and divided in two and put on the ground. This is why entering a treaty or an agreement of this kind would have been called cutting a covenant. And then what would happen is a solemn commitment would be made by the two parties to each other by them passing together between the parts of the sacrifice. And the understanding was that they were committing to keep to their word. And the understanding was that if they weren't gonna to keep to their word, they would become like the animal on the ground beside them. Death awaited the person who broke the covenant. That's how a covenant was cut and an agreement was made. And this is what the Lord is asking Abraham to prepare. Animals cut for covenant. He was called to prepare a sacrifice of this kind, and Abraham is obedient. He gets on, he does what is asked of him. And then it seems to me, as I read the text, there's some more waiting. Waiting. We're not good at waiting, are we? I find I even get impatient now when a song takes 30 seconds to load on my phone. It's not helping my patience. Technology. 
There's more waiting. You see, the encounter where he's shown the sky, this must have happened at night. And then they come into the day, and then he's prepared this offering, and then they're waiting again for the sun to set. This is a long encounter with God. But what it shows me is that Abraham prepares the offering, and then there's more waiting. And the only thing that seems to happen in this period of waiting with the bits of animal ready on the ground, the blood would have been seeping out into the middle because the covenant was always made in blood. The only thing that happens is it says the birds of prey came down onto the offering. And it says Abraham drove them away. And I simply want to stop here and say, you know, sometimes when we're on a journey of faith and we're in the tension of waiting, sometimes we bring our offering to the Lord. A surrendered heart, a trusting heart, a desire to do God's will, and then the enemy. And you know, in scripture, often birds represent God's enemy. Comes to spoil the offering. Comes to have a go at the offering. Comes to tempt you to compromise. Comes to tempt you and say, he's not going to do it. Just pull back from that place. Comes to spoil it. Comes to find any place in you that isn't surrendered and encourage you to pull back from that place. The enemy will come to stir up pride and self-pity and tell you that you deserve better than this and you should be treated better than this. And our heart begins to harden and we begin to withdraw from God if we're not careful. And yet as the birds of prey came down, on the offering, it says, Abraham drove them away. Drove them away. If you're in a season of waiting and you sense that you, you started out with a heart that was open and surrendered before God, but there's thoughts and there's challenges and there's different doubts and maybe you've just begun to compromise your position, I want to encourage you this morning, drive those birds away and keep your offering ready for the Lord because when we read what happens here, it is worth protecting your offering. You see, although God is not afraid to make us wait, to wait for the promise, to wait with our offering, he is faithful and he always comes. He is faithful and he always comes. But our faith has to be tested for it to grow. Waiting tests our faith. Waiting tests our faith. You know, faith in many ways is like a muscle. So when you go for a session at the gym to work a muscle and to make it bigger, you, you work it so that it hurts afterwards. A muscle has to actually, the, the fibers have to break so they then uh, restore themselves and grow and get bigger. That's how that growth happens. It's a little bit like that with faith. It has to be put under strain in situations where you almost feel like it's, it's been damaged, but when it's been strained and pressured, then that's when it grows. And when as we continue in the text, what we find happens here is Abraham falls into a deep sleep and God speaks to him again, reveals more to him of what is to come in the generations that will follow, of how his offspring will play their part in God's timing, in the judgment of the wickedness of another nation. Amazing how God holds together the tension of an individual and their purpose and their call and what is happening in the nations of the earth. If you think he has forgotten you, 
He is holding all these things together, the nations of the earth and your life and your purpose and your call. And we're told that what happens then when the sun sets and when darkness has fallen, it says a smoking fire pot, which was a metal case with burning coals for making fire, and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. The fire and the flame here, they represent the presence of God, coming and walking in between the pieces of the offering, presencing himself in the sacrifice that Abraham made. God's presence, God's participation, sealing the covenant with Abraham. It tells us in the text, the torch and the fire pot moved between the pieces, but Abraham did not. On this occasion, it wasn't two people standing together to make a covenant. Abraham was only a passive observer who would perhaps have felt the heat of the flame as the presence of God passed so near to him. Abraham's question was, how will I know? The Lord said, bring me an offering. The sacrifice I request and I will meet you in the midst of it. And in this moment, God unilaterally takes responsibility for the covenant. He doesn't ask Abraham to walk with him between the pieces. The presence of God passes there alone. God walking between the pieces, taking on himself alone the weight and the responsibility of the covenant. All Abraham can do is receive. Sound familiar? You see this covenant here between Abraham and God that marks the beginning of God's salvation plan for mankind. Even right back in Genesis 15, a covenant is being made that is pointing to another covenant in blood that would be made on another day. Another day when God would bear the weight alone of the covenant as he would hang on a cross and carry the sin of the world. I'm reminded as I read this account that God is not in a hurry to get us to a destination. He's not in a hurry to fulfill his word even when we are. To him, the journey is as important as the destination, perhaps more important than the destination. Perhaps the destination is the place he's gonna take you to where you're gonna be a blessing to others, but it's in the journey that you're gonna encounter him and you will be blessed. The journey is as important as the destination because God participates in the offering. He comes into the sacrifice of the journey. He comes and he meets us where we are in our obedience, in what we bring. He affirms his promise to us by his presence and his participation in what we bring to him today. And he journeys with us and he grows our faith. You know, he's gonna keep drawing us on out of our comfort zone 
into the vast expanses of his abundance and his eternal purposes because he has so much still to accomplish. I know as many of you do sitting here this morning, I know what it is to wait with a promise. For many years, I thought the Lord had spoken to me about leading his people and playing a part in, in leading church. And yet, as I said a few weeks ago in my last preach, in my mid-30s, I was nowhere near any of that. I was doing some mentoring of people recovering from drug addiction. I was helping with the twos group at church. I was raising my children. These are all good things to do. These were good things to do, but God had spoken to me about something else, something different. So there was waiting. There was sacrifice, there was pain. Many of you know what that journey's like. There was a season of prayer where I used to call out to God in the waiting. Just saying things like, Lord, I feel like I'm dying here. I used to ask the Lord and say, will you just take what it is that you've put in me because it hurts to carry it and it not be outworked. And I don't mind if you don't outwork it, but just can I not have to carry it? He didn't take it away. So I learned in that season to wait, to put my offering before the Lord, an offering of a heart that would say, I will serve here if you ask me to serve here. I will stay here if you ask me to stay here. But I need your presence and I need your participation in the offering of today if I am going to make it. I cannot do this alone, but I will do it if you will presence yourself here with me. You don't need me to tell you that he met me there, because you know the God I serve. There was no fire pot or blazing torch, but the reality of his presence and his grace. And in time, a different day came and a different door opened and he overwhelmed my inadequacy with his abundance and continues to do so. And I am forever grateful that he did not accelerate my journey. I wouldn't want to be standing here without what he taught me there, without what I found of him there. And of course, there have been more tests of faith since then, and there will be more ahead because we're called to be pilgrims, those who walk a journey of faith, keep following where our Savior and Master leads us to go, following in Abraham's footsteps, walking by faith and not by sight. Friends, this morning, he knows you're afraid and he comes to reassure you. He will overwhelm your inadequacy with his abundance. Your questions and your faith, they can coexist. And the journey requires sacrifice, but he will come to meet you in your offering. I can't say when God will do what he's promised to you. I can't say when your waiting will be over. I cannot hasten God and nor would I want to. But I can encourage you this morning. He knows where you're afraid and he wants to reassure you even this morning. He comes to say to you this morning, I am your shield. I am your very great reward. 
He comes to meet you in the waiting of your faith journey. He comes to presence himself in your offering and what you bring today, even now, this morning, to participate himself in what you bring, to renew his promise to you, backed up by the covenant that he made when he shed his own blood on a cross for you and for me. I want to invite us to respond this morning. I want to invite you this morning to bring your offering to him today, the offering of a surrendered and a willing heart to journey with him into what he has spoken in spite of what you see today. I want to invite you this morning to come again to him. Maybe this morning you need to drive the enemy away from your offering and bring it again before the Lord. Make room for him to come and meet you in your offering again today. But I know God wants to meet you this morning. He wants to reassure you. He wants to presence himself to you, to remind you and minister to you that he is your shield, your very great reward. If you know that this word is speaking to you this morning and you want to respond and receive, I'm just going to invite you to stand to your feet right now so I can pray for you. I know he wants to minister to hearts, to let faith rise, to reassure you and to stir faith in you. Stand quickly because then I'm going to pray. open your hearts to receive. Father, we want to thank you this morning that you are faithful, that you do what you say and you do not change. We thank you that you are our shield, our defender and protector. You are our very great reward and everything that we need is in you. Thank you that you keep your word, but that you are also working in us. invite you now, Holy Spirit, to come and minister. Come and minister to every heart, to every man and woman who's standing before you and responding to your word today. Holy Spirit, please come and presence yourself and participate in their offering. I pray for faith to rise again in their hearts. I pray right now that you'd minister reassurance that you know that they're afraid and that your love would come and cover their fear again. Come and overwhelm them. Overwhelm any sense of inadequacy with your abundance, with your sufficiency, Lord. Help them to see again your greatness. And I pray for every one of them that their questions will draw them into deeper intimacy with you and a new pursuit of you. And I pray that even as we worship now, that Lord, you would presence yourself afresh to every single one as they stand. You'd increase the measure of your spirit, of your presence and your grace to sustain them today. Restore their faith in the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they are, that they would walk in every single thing you have for them in your time to the honor and to the glory of your great name, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.